This is our sixth sermon in the series called Beautiful Feet. We started before the, before the Resurrection Sunday, the month before, so it, it's, 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 it's going to be a lot of fun. What I want to cover tonight, is, as Pastor Tim covered last week, is the, the effect that, that Jesus and the gospel had on other people's life. And I want to continue that thought, and I'm going to have you open up your Bibles. This, the, most of the verses that we're going to look at tonight will not be on the, on the screen. You need to have your Bibles open that you can follow along. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. But what we're going to do first today is start with Mark five, uh, 4, verses 35 to 41. We're just going to talk about this story a little bit because it's important to what Jesus wanted to teach in that next section. So Jesus had, in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41, Jesus said to his disciples, he wants to go to the other side. He didn't tell them why. He said, I want to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So let's get in the boat and take off. So they did. He didn't know why, but they soon would discover why. So as they were rowing the boat or sailing across the Sea of Galilee, this huge storm comes up out of nowhere. This storm they, they have a tendency to do that. It comes off, rolls off the mountain and comes out into the sea and, and caused this, this huge storm. Where was Jesus? Look at your text. Where was Jesus? He was asleep in the stern of the boat. The same place that the disciples should have been. You'll see in just a minute. Resting in the stern of the boat that Jesus is God and, and he's in control of everything, Right? He's the one who created everything. He's in control. He wanted to teach the disciples a, a very valuable lesson about faith and trust as they were going across the water. He, didn't, he did say to them, didn't he? If you read your text, he said, let's go to the other side. He didn't say, let's go in the middle of the lake and drown. Right? That's not what he said. So they, the one thing, they weren't trusting in, in who he was and what he could do. So he wanted to teach them this lesson. So when they get into this storm came up, it, it was not apart from the all-knowing wisdom of Jesus and God. He knew that this was coming. The wind came rushing down over the mountains and caused these waves to come over the sides of the boat and almost capsize it. I'm pretty sure that Jesus was, was also getting wet as the waves came over, but he was asleep on a cushion. If the disciples would have been trusting God, they would have been snuggling up with a cushion themselves, resting in the promise that God, that Jesus said, let's go to the other side. So as they're going around, but no, what they, what they were worrying about is, they were worrying about themselves and their situation, their circumstances, their major crisis at the moment. They said, they said, if you look at your text, it says, Teacher, do you not care that, that we are perishing? But because he loved them, because he wanted to teach them more about who he was, he got up, rebuked the wind, and calmed the storm. Then I say that, that he rebuked the wind, and then he calmed the water. In, Mark, in verse 39. He got up, rebuked the wind, and calmed the sea. What's significant about that? What, what, what is the big deal about that? 
Well, you see a pattern here. The problem, where was it coming from? What they saw, the disciples, and what we see are these waves that are crashing in on the boat. But the, really the problem, that was just the effects of the problem. The problem is the wind. If there was no wind, there would have been no waves, right? There would have been no waves. So this is what the gospel is in action. Jesus is taking what the real, the root of the problem, dealing with that, and then he's calming the water. He said, he rebuked the wind, peace be still, over the water, and calm came back over the water. He dealt with the issue first, and then the effects went away. How often, this is a question for you here, how often do you see only the waves and not the wind in our own lives? We see these issues coming up, and, and we see the problems around us, but we don't see the root cause of those problems. We're not going to dive deep into this tonight. This is just by way of introduction, but I wanted you to see this because it's, it's important that the problems... As, as, you know, the, let, let's give you an example. There's a problem. You can't get along with somebody. You argue all the time. You don't agree on anything. You just don't like this person. Well, what's the problem? The problem isn't the other person. The problem is your heart. And we're going to see that very clear as, as we move on. Because what does it say in James chapter 4, verse 1? It says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it? Not this, that your passions are at war within you. We do what we do because we want what we want. We're selfish, prideful people, and we can't get along with this person because they're not doing the way I would do it. They won't, they're not doing what I want them to do. They're not doing it to please me. They're, they're, you know, they're selfish. Well, they're just, you got to look in your own heart. Okay? That's what he's saying here. Take care of your heart issues first the biggest problem is 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 our own sin and that's what jesus is addressing here and then in our text in a in a minute jesus didn't come to get us to conform to a certain rigid standard outwardly to he wanted to renew our hearts that's what he's here to do that's what he came to do he wanted to renew our hearts from the the power and the penalty of sin but you know what? We can't do this on our own. As hard as we try, we're not going to be able to do it. We're going to see that in a little bit. It's the gospel at work within us. He loved his disciples enough to teach them this important lesson on faith and on trust. A lesson that we all need to learn as well. So let's move over to chapter 5. And I'm going to ask you to, to stand together. We're going to read this Verses 1 through 20, out loud. I mean, not, I'll just read it to you, but I want you to stand. This is, this is an important section here. He starts out in verse 1. It says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and there was no one could bind him anymore. Not even with a chain. 
For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you, by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of this man, you unclean spirit. And, and Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs were feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and, and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. And he, he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Amen. You may be seated. This text that we're going to look at today is, we're not going to talk about demon possession. We're going to talk about our hearts. So I want to look at, you have three points in your bulletin. The first point is one man. Let's talk about this one man. Ask the question, why would Jesus come all the way across the Sea of Galilee, meet with this one man, and then leave? Why would he do that? Because he loved that man. That's why he came. Why did he, why did he come to this earth? Because he loved people. Why did he save you? Because he loves you. Jesus loved this one man that he was willing to, to go all the way across the sea to meet with him. As it says in Matthew 18, verse 12, it says, what do you think if, if a man has a hundred sheep and, and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search for the one that went astray? So Jesus said, I've got somebody I need to go rescue. Have you ever, this is true confession time, have you ever arrived at a destination and forgot one of your children behind? Anybody ever done that? I have. You're just all lying. <laughs> all right. 
There's a couple honest people back there. All right. That's happened to us. So what you do is you drop everything, make sure everybody else is in a safe place, and you go. Well, a number of years ago when, when, um, when our son Caleb was in high school, Pastor Tim was the youth pastor at the time, and my wife and I were helping with youth ministry. We were not uh, on staff at the time. We were just attenders. They chartered a bus to go to Atlanta to a, uh, a conference. And as they're driving down south to Atlanta, they stopped at an Arby's. Everybody got off the bus, went in, ate, got back on the bus. Well, my wife, Helen, was responsible for making sure everybody was there. So she had the sheet, and she was counting and making sure everybody was there. She saw our son, Caleb, get on the bus, so she marked it off. And, and then she went past down the aisle a little bit. Well, Caleb thought to himself, I've got to go to the bathroom. I need to go to the restroom one more time before we take off. So he gets off the bus without Helen realizing that he got off. And, and so as she's coming up, she says to Caleb's cousin, Todd, said, Todd, where's Caleb at? He says, oh, he, he went into the, bath, into the bathroom. And she assumed that he meant the bathroom on the bus. So she gave the okay to the bus driver. Go ahead, everybody's here, let's go. So they shut the door and they start taking off. Caleb walks out of the restroom and uh, look, the bus is gone. So he sat on the curb for a little while, thought, okay, what am I going to do? So he starts walking toward a convenience store. Down, I don't know why he was going that way. But all of a sudden, from behind him, somebody's yelling and screaming at him. So what they did is they were getting on the on-ramp when Todd finally convinced him that he's at the restaurant bathroom, not on the bus bathroom. So they, they finally stopped the bus on the side of the highway, and then uh, somebody got out of the bus and ran back to where Caleb was and got rescued him, and, and uh, everything was fine. It happens. They had to rescue this one boy because he had to take care of business, and, uh, and he got left behind. But it, it happens. Well, here in our text, as you see this in our text, there was, there was a lost man who Jesus needed to find and to save. There was a lost man that Jesus had a plan and a purpose for. This is the, the interesting thing. So, so who is this man? Let's look at it. In verses 3 through 5, he says that he lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces, no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, <clears throat> he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. This guy was messed up, wasn't he? This man could not live in regular society. He was an outcast. More than likely, without clothing, what some of the other texts mentioned that he was naked, he was uncontrollable, he was unkempt, and he caused other people to fear. One of the other texts that relate this story said that they were even afraid to walk near where he was. But Jesus had compassion for this man and cared for him so much that he was willing to set out across the sea through a storm to meet with this one man. Jesus was living out the gospel Jesus knew something about this man that nobody else could see. 
Jesus knew something about him, that he had a plan and a purpose and a future for him that would make a profound impact in his community. Jesus knew that the effect of the gospel on this one man would change a community forever. This one man had no capacity to change himself. He had no power over the demons to make them go away. He could do nothing about his circumstances. Everything was out of his control. Only Jesus could do this. That's the gospel. Only Jesus can change our hearts. Jesus doing something for him, for us, that we could never do in ourselves. We sang about it in our songs t- today and tonight, and we, we talk about it in the Lord's Supper, that, that Jesus is the one who does this changing. He came to this man with one message. Point number two, one message. Look at verse number two. He says, and, and, and Jesus, when Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Now, how did this man know that that was Jesus getting out of the boat? How did he know? He was clearly insane. He had no control of himself. You know, who who was really in control of this man? We know that it was the evil spirits. They knew who this was. Because what does it say in verses 6 and 7? It says, and when when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. Crying out with a loud voice, he said, what do you have to do with us, with, with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. When the man saw Jesus, he, or the spirits, recognized who he was, and they ran up to him and bowed down to show superiority, that Jesus was superior to them, to him. You know, how, how else would he have known? Because there was no internet, there's no news, news broadcast, there was nothing that they could ever do for this man who's insane to understand that this was Jesus, the son of the most high God. It was the demons who knew that. So Jesus was calling the spirits out of the man, and once they started talking through the man, Jesus said, what is your name? And, they, and he called himself Legion. That meant that there were like 6,000 demons inside this man. That's a lot. 6,000. One legion is 6,000 men in, Ger- in the Roman culture. No wonder he was uncontrollable. No wonder he could break these chains and nothing could bind him because he had so many demons in him. But Jesus is more powerful than any demon or demons, plural, isn't he? Jesus' message to this man was very simple, yet profound. He said, come out of him. I need him for my purpose I have a job for him to fulfill. Get out of him. So they, he, they did. They left, went into the pigs, and, and, and down the mountain. So the same principle that we talked about earlier, by way of introduction, about Jesus rebuked the winds, and he calmed the sea. He did the exact same thing here. He got rid of the demons. He dealt with the problem. 
And then the man, they clothed him, and he was in his right mind again. That is the way the gospel works. You deal with the heart issue first, then the others can be dealt with. He was restored to his right mind, just as the scripture said there. Sometimes we complicate Jesus' message, don't we? It's really one thing that we learn from our counseling uh, training that, I, that Helen, my wife and I have been through is that the problem usually is not the problem. It's our heart. It's our heart and how we receive it, how we deal with it. That's really where the problem is. It's where it was with this man. He had, he, somehow these demons got into him. I don't know how it had, doesn't say how it happened. But he was uncontrollable. But Jesus came along, rebuked the demons, and then calmed the man. He was sitting in his right mind. So what's, what's your problem today? Is it dissatisfaction with your job, your family, or your life in general? Is it struggling with a lust issue? Does anger keep raising its ugly head in your life when somebody cuts you off on the road? Or, you know, what is it that, that is your problem that you're facing? What we see is our problems many, many, many times are just the surface things. The root issue is our heart. God needs to get a hold of our heart. That's where the gospel comes in. This is where the gospel can truly change us and make us and dive deep into there. Deal with the heart first, our own pride and selfishness, and, and you'll see these other problems diminish. It's, it, it is only Jesus that can, can do that work in our heart. Try as hard as you want. Try as hard as you want not to, to eat that extra piece of cake. See, I'm pointing three fingers right back at myself when I say that. And watch what, it, it's the gospel that changes my heart, that changes your heart to be able to say no to these things, to be able to say no to the temptation, to be able to say no to the anger, be able to say no to that food that I shouldn't be eating. Only Christ can do that. He has the power to change our hearts. Now, I want to clarify one thing, though. Sometimes our circumstances and problems that we have are not of our own making. They're not. There's things that come into our life that I, I didn't, I'm not the one that caused them. Okay? But God, Jesus is still concerned about our heart response to that difficulty. It might not have been my, my problem. It, it could have been a disease I got, or it could have been something else that happened. God is more interested in, in how we deal with that in our heart than the problem itself. Does that make sense? And so sometimes they're our own making, our own decisions, bad decisions we're making, but sometimes they're not. Sometimes they come from outside. We have no control over them. But God is still concerned how we respond to that in a godly way. All right? So number three. It's one mission. He had one mission. What happened to this man after Jesus got a hold of him? So he's sitting there in his right mind, and he's, and he's talking with Jesus, and as Jesus, the city comes out and says, hey, we need you to leave. We're afraid of you, what you're going to do. You're going to kill all the rest of our pigs and all this stuff. 
They ask him to leave, and as he's getting into the boat, the man says that he wants to go along. Well, let's read what it says in verses 18 to 20. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how much he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. That's that's cool. So Jesus came all the way across to this beach to meet with this one man with one message, and now he's sending him on one mission to go and share all that God had done in his life to all those that he knew. And that's exactly what he did. He made Jesus' name famous in, that, in the Decapolis. He made him known throughout all Decapolis, it says. Here's a guy, <clears throat> for all intents and purposes, was, was a worthless outcast and rejected by everyone. Nobody wanted to be around him. It was too unpredictable. He was a fear-filled man and one to be feared. When Jesus got a hold of his heart, everything became different. His life was changed. And the people marveled at that change. And I'm confident that this was the beginning of something that took this part of the world and turned it upside down, this one man. The gospel went forth and impacted so many people. Now, where did this guy get his Bible degree from? Who was his pastor that taught him how to do all this stuff? He didn't have one. It was the Holy Spirit working in him, allowing, and him taking the little bit that he had and was able to go forth and speak. For God's glory. So where, what, how did David defeat his enemy? With a rock and a slingshot and the power of God. How did Samson defeat a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey? With the power of God. And the strength of God. And when, when Gideon had over 30,000 men, God dwind, you know, brought that down to 300 to defeat their enemy with 300 men and God. So they didn't need all these fancy things. David did not need the full armor that the king was trying to give him. He just needed the power of God in his life and and a a rock. Samson didn't need an army around him. He could destroy these thousand soldiers with a jawbone of a donkey because he had the strength of God. And this man went forth and and shared all that Jesus had done in his life for God's glory. God gave him what to say. Many of us, many of us, I've heard it over and over, many of us think that we can't be used of God because we're not prepared enough or we're not smart enough. I don't know enough verses. I don't feel like that's my spiritual gift. God says, you know what? Look at what I did throughout the Bible with hardly anything. Look what I did. Use that as an example. Look what Jesus did. He changed this one man's life 
And that man went out and changed tons more. Throughout the Bible, we see how God took the very simple and changed the hearts and the lives of many people. That's me. That's you. As we, as we go forward, Jesus displayed the gospel this way. He found one man who needed the truth and healing in his life. He shared one message that his grace is more powerful than even 6,000 demons and it can change us and those he brings into our life. And thirdly, he gave him one mission to do. We see that echoed in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's, the, that's what he commanded us to do. He said, this, this is a very simple message. The message that I've given to you is to go into all the world. That means your neighbors, your own household, around the, around the nation, around the world, and share that good news. That, I, that your life has been changed. You're a testimony to God's grace. And he's taken a life that was doomed for hell, doomed for eternity apart from God, and given you a new life. And he says, just go tell people about me and what I did in your life. How that I, how that I changed you. How can Jesus use you to be like this one man with one message and, and one mission? How can God use you? Think about that. What, what needs to take place in, in your life in order to be obedient to his command to go into all the world? What needs to change in your life to finally say, God, you know what? You're right. I'm going to be obedient to what you've done, how you've changed me, how you've rejuvenated my heart what is it going to take? I wanted to leave you with this one verse that is in 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 1. It says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. For I delivered unto you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. Now this is the gospel message. Jesus came and he lived a sinless, perfect life. He died, he rose again, he's ascended into glory now, sitting at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you and I, you and me. Proper English. But that's what the message is. That's what our, our responsibility is. And that's, that's amazing what God can do with a life that is fully devoted to him. So what is it going to take in your life to get you to that point where you say that nothing else matters? God, what do you have for me? As you're traveling, as you're doing this, as you're at your work, you see somebody that's discouraged, go over and say, What's going on? Can I pray for you? 
What's the worst they can do? Just fire you. Who cares? You're doing God's work. He's going to give you something better. I know it. That's the amazing thing about God. He takes care of his people. When you're doing God's work his way, he's going to take care of you. I've experienced that many, many times. Let's have a word of prayer.